What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at mantrakc.com. My guest is an author, teacher, speaker, and mother, and I'm going to add in an additional title. She is an un unbelievably generous and kind friend. She has studied alternative therapies for over 20 years and is a theta healer. In her first book, Breaking the Habit of Dating Your Past, she takes you on a journey of self-discovery to see the future you've been waiting for with the relationship you always hoped was possible. She is a wealth of valuable knowledge, and I couldn't be more excited to talk to her. Tammy Learson, welcome to Montrospective. Heather, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. You are such well, a gorgeous person. Well, thank you. We've known each other for, oh gosh, about, what, six or seven months now? And yeah. you have been a shining light for me. You um, are such a positive and happy person. You are able to see things from such a different perspective that maybe most people don't see. And you are so open with sharing that with others. And that's so much of what your book is about. And I want to just get right into it, except we're going to jump in a time machine really quick and go back to when you were young. Um, obviously, everyone can tell from your accent, you live in Australia. Um, what was it like growing up for you? What kind of kid were you? What kind of dreams did you have growing up? Did you always want to be an author? Wow, that's such a big <laughs> question. <laughs> I grew up in the country. I have a brother who is 10 years older than me. So he left the country for the big city, which is Melbourne, back when I was seven. So I basically grew up as an only child. Around that time, my parents also separated. So I grew up with just me and my mum. So my memories of my brother back, back home in the country are very limited because it's just that naught to seven age group. It was interesting. Um, I had lots of cousins. So we played, you know, we, we played and um, that was family, you know, cousins, grandmothers, aunties. And my brother, when he came home from university, yeah, did I always want to be a writer? It turned out I did. It turned out I really did. So as a nine-year-old, I had written this ghost story. During playtime, while everyone is out, is out playing, I'm writing. So I have 
six or seven pages, you know, in those, you know, those books you write in as a child, six pages, seven, take it home to my mum. And I'm just, I'm ecstatic. I'm wrapped. I'm so proud of myself. And my mum always wanted to be a teacher. So she looks at it and she tells me everything that's wrong with it. <laughs> so in that moment, my joy of writing was completely stripped out of me. This one time I had done something amazing that I was excited about. Like how many people can say as a, you know, a nine-year-old that this, this was an absolute passion and they're so proud of themselves. I did not write again, basically. I only wrote what I had to write in high school. I did not write any creative stories, nothing, until I had kids when I was... Um, you know, in my late 20s. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because someone else you and I both know, Janet, who is the artist who I've had on the podcast, said something very similar. You know, she got criticized by a teacher when she was young. Um, and actually, on the reverse side of that, it was her mother that kept her positive and kept her going and everything. But, you know, we spent some time talking about these adults in the lives of children who do that, who kind of squash those hopes and dreams. Obviously, that seems to be what happened to you at the time. Did you do any writing after that? Or was that just one and done and not not doing it again? Yeah, that was one and done, gone. So after I had my children, I started writing down self-help things for mothers, because I realized children could push you to your absolute brink. If, if you want to, because everyone would think of me as being a calm person through my working life, everywhere. Crisis, call Tammy. So whereas children will just take you to the absolute depths of just you don't know, they will push you so hard. So I was writing down on my typewriter <laughs> all these tips and techniques to help other mums. Because if I'm going through this and I'm supposedly the calm one, then what about other people? So, um, yeah, I had pages and pages of, you know, what to do, go outside and, and all of this stuff. So I did write. And along that path, you know, I came to a course because I found that as a mother, I was not the mother that I wanted to be. This, this calm person that everyone saw my kids could make it go from naught to zero in two seconds flat. Not even that. It's probably half a second. So that's how I started on my journey, the spiritual journey and, you know, learning meditation and all these different therapies because I always wanted to be better. I wanted to be the mother that I saw who encouraged their children, who was that calm mother that, you know, brought up happy children. I wanted the happy family life that... I didn't feel like I got as a child. Did you feel that writing down all of those tips actually was kind of therapeutic for you and helped you kind of move through, you know, the, the anxiety you felt of dealing with your children, of, of being able to go to zero to 60 in two seconds? Was that what kind of propelled you to start writing again, I guess? As I wrote, you know, this, this, self-help part of me was you know that yearning to be of service to make a difference sort of started emerging 
And I thought I would put all of this into a book, but of course I never did. You know, I didn't have the the internal, um, you know, the belief and all of that. I hadn't developed all of that yet to step out, but it was like a dream to publish. So over the years, I kept writing. So every time I learned something, I'd, you know, get on the computer because we're in the digital age by then and, um, you know, type it all up. So I had lots of notes. So when it came to writing Breaking the Habit, a lot of the part two of that book actually came from those things that I had written over the years. The tips and everything that you had written down, you'd taken all these notes and over the years, you know, when you started having the concept of writing Breaking the Habit, at this point, had you taken any writing courses or or anything like that? Or were you pretty much self-teaching yourself how to how to write? Yes. So when, when I, I really got the, okay, I'm putting this together as a book now, this break, I've got my theme, I've got all of the self-help stuff that I'd written over the years. Um, I really wanted to write it as a story so people could write, read these little stories. I didn't want it to be just a complete here, this, 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 and this, just, I wanted people to be immersed in it and really learn from it, from, from other people's stories. So I went and did a, a writing course. It was a creative writing course. And through that course, I started writing a fairy tale. And this fairy tale was just the absolute joy of my life. Never. I didn't even realize I was right. I was listening to uh, big magic by the author of um, Eat, Pray, Love. So I was listening to her book and I'm driving in my car and I burst into tears in my car. And I'm like, what what the hell's wrong with me? And I realized, because as she's talking about writing, I always wanted to be a writer. Oh, and it got me right here. So I was writing this little, you know, little piece for this creativity course. I had no desire to do anything else with it, but it was just really cool. You know, people put their feedback and they're like, oh, I haven't read anything like this for such a long time. And it was just a great course. And when it finished, I'm reading, I was a little bit sad. So, oh, you know, a little character, my little where I got to the witch and the cottage and the, the whole thing. And I'm reading the next lot of courses with no desire to do any of them. I'm just reading it. And so anyway, it was novel writing course and spirit literally flashed at me in that moment. And I said, you want me to do this? You want me to write this? And, and my heart nearly burst. I, I could have started sobbing in that moment. So I started writing my little fairy tale as a novel. Writing a novel, writing a self-help book and writing a novel are two different things. So for really, me, sitting yeah. down... Yeah, and suddenly writing a novel, this was totally unfamiliar. I'm out of my depth. I am so far out of my depth, it's ridiculous. I'm just doing it because I've learned that when you get a sign, big sign like that, a sign from the universe, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it, you go for it. So I'm like, okay, I'm just doing this as an act of faith. You giving me the calling to write this as a novel, Okay, I'll do it. So I did um, a novel writing course, um, draft one and draft two, and it was the best time of my life. I had 50,000 words written in draft one. A draft two was where you bring it all together and you make sure that every, 
every scene has got its, you know, dramatic ending, that hook that takes you on to the next part. So roll along to novel writing course, draft three. My teacher in that course, she's like my mum. And I'm straight back to the nine-year-old child. And within about six weeks of doing that third draft course, the joy of writing has just drained completely from me. Now, this is like two, this is probably two years because each course went for nine to 12 months. So I'm in the third course. So I'm a fair way down the track from when I first started writing. And here I am back. I had no joy for writing again. I hadn't linked it at this stage that this was what was going on. 12 months post that, so we're another year. And in the third draft, all I've written is three paragraphs. Cannot get over the three paragraphs. Every time I sit down, the first paragraph is not good enough. And I rewrite it and I rewrite the second and I rewrite the third. And then I put it away and I come back and I repeat this. A year has gone by. I said to myself, I need to finish this. This was, spirit gave this to me to do this. I'm doing it no matter what. So what's blocking me? So this is the important bit. Ask the question, what is blocking me? How can I shift this? Something's going on here. My friend, so I leave that. You ask a question and you leave it. You don't have to get an answer in that moment. So my friend takes me to the races. I don't go to the races. We've got a table and there are these country boys there. So we're talking about the country. I grew up in the country, they're from the country, here we are, and I start telling them about this story about when I jumped in the channel. So as a six or seven year old, I'm very young, because I remember the swimming togs I was wearing. I'm playing with this a friend of mine at the channel bank. We're swimming. This is like, it's, it's country Victoria, so it's 40 degrees. There are snakes, we're in the country. I would never do that today. I would never let my kids do that. So we have, and we're alone as well. So there's two kids, no more than seven, up on the channel bank, which is the irrigation channel, which, you know, sends the water to all the crops. And we're just jumping in there playing, swimming, having the best time ever. Anyway, she says to me, if we, if you jump onto the channel bank, it is the best fun ever. You go down and it's like, whoosh. So she jumps in under the concrete bank. So that concrete bank would be, I don't know, a, a metre and a half. So that's like five feet or something. And it's however wide the channel is. So the channel's quite wide, especially when you're only that age. So she jumps in, she pops out the other end. She's laughing. It's the best fun ever. So it's like, come on, Tammy. So I jumped up there in my little swimming togs and I jumped down. So we're jumping in this little concrete gap. Not much where all this water is like whoosh, down. So I jump in, whoosh, just like she said, best ever. Except I don't come out the other end. I come out and I'm under the concrete bank. And I feel the, the pitted, so the, the pits in the concrete. And somehow I say to myself, okay, you're going to have to push yourself out of this. So I use my hands to push myself forward I can't tell you the joy when I felt the edge of the concrete bank and I push myself out and I pop up and I come up and I say, I'm never doing anything like that again. I am never, I'm never going to take a chance on anything. I'm never doing anything adventurous. That's it. 
I would never do anything like this again. I'll never be adventurous again and I'll never take a chance again. So anyone that knows me, they'll know how thoroughly I think out things before I act. You know, she doesn't, she's very, so that's very much me, very careful, considered with everything. So I've told this story, the shortened version of that to these guys. So I've come home and I thought this must be important that I've suddenly thought about this, having not thought about it for years. So I sit down and I decide I'm going to re-watch it. And I'm going to re-watch it with my adult self there. So I watch the whole thing. So I'm the adult self with the, the little seven-year-old. And I see myself jump in the water. I see myself come through, figure out that I've got to go that way and get to the bank and come out and make that decision. And as an adult looking at it, I went, you're a bloody hero. You just saved your own life. Concepts that as a child did not even consider. And the whole 30 years or however long it's been since that incident, 40 years, never even thought about, oh, my God, I saved my own life. I could have gone the wrong way. I could have panicked. But in that moment, I found my way out. So I thought, well, how about... If that was the thought I had when I popped out of the water, how about when I came out of the water, I jumped up and went, yippee, that was the best fun of my life. Do you know what I just did? I just saved my own life. I went there and I felt the concrete and rah, rah, rah. Imagine if that was what I did when I came out of the water. And I went, wow, I'm going to do that. And I just re-imaged it and I let those beliefs go. I've lived those beliefs, the old beliefs that say, I don't take a chance. I'm not adventurous. I'm not doing anything that's outside my comfort zone. I just let them all go. Release them. So I felt them lift off me and I thought I'm going to bring in new beliefs in that moment. So in that moment, I replayed it in my head and I see myself coming out and I'm cheering the little girl that's up on the bank. She's cheering because she's been watching me. And it's just like, wow. What an adventure. What an experience. That was the best fun ever. So what I realised, the big takeaway from this, what I've come to realise is I didn't have the spirit in me to handle criticism of the heart. Those things that are your passion projects that take adventure. It's like you take, you're taking a chance. You're going on the big unknown when you are going on your passion project. Whatever your passion project is, it's probably something that you didn't train for. It's just in there and you have this massive desire to do it and you have this massive desire to follow it. And what I've found is that with no sense of adventure or being able to take a chance on things, you don't have enough spirit to carry you through when someone criticizes you for your passion, for your dream. You don't have enough to sustain you to keep that dream going. So this is how your beliefs can suck the creativity out of you. And, and did, that just, did that just change the trajectory of everything for you from, your, from that point moving forward in your life? Yes. I'm now, this, that whole, that realization just came to me recently. So I'm now at the end of chapter three, about to start chapter four. 
um, I haven't done a word count on how many words that is, but for someone that was ch stuck, chapter one, the first three paragraphs for 12 months, and for me to be, you know, by the end of next week, I'll be into chapter four, because I have a big desire to get that book finished this year and get it out there. It's a really cool story. Can I wait for you to read it? So was the fairy tale first and then you kind of got stuck and then you wrote Breaking the Habit or when did that fall into place? It, no, Breaking the Habit was first. Okay. So I had written Breaking the Habit and I was going back and doing my rewrite. And in doing the rewrite, I wanted those stories to, to like really get you and grip you and so that it wasn't a lecture book. I wanted Breaking the Habit to motivate you, to enthuse you, to uplift you out of those patterns and into your new life. And I thought I didn't have the skill set to make those stories, um, to hit you in the heart, to really get you. So that's where I started to do the creativity course. So I had two things going on at the same time. I was rewriting Breaking the Habit and I was doing this cool little creativity course where, so this is what happened with the creativity course. So they get you to shut your eyes and it's like, okay, they gave you two words. So my two words were love hurts and you had to write whatever came to you. So I close my eyes, love hurts. And I see this, this outline of a girl in a dress and I just decide that she's a princess. So I go, oh, this is gonna suck. going to write this. Oh. And I went, nah, nah, they tell you, you have to do whatever you, whatever you saw, whatever you got, you had to write. So I started writing this little story of the princess and the horse and the witch and the cottage. And it turned out to be the best thing I ever did. And each week when we get another two words, I'd fit those two words with where my story was going to go next. And that's how, so at the end of six weeks, I had this cool little story. And it was from that, when it finished, so I'm still writing Breaking the Habit, that I'm reading the novel writing course and it's like spirit flashes and says, you've got to turn this into a novel. I was like, yeah, you, you want me to do this? I feel like Sally Field, you really want me to do this? So, and that's what I did. So it became a passion and because it was a passion, there was nothing to, I didn't have the spirit when criticism came along for it. I didn't have the spirit to handle it because I had already blocked out that taking a chance, that going on an adventure, doing something from the unknown. Whereas breaking the habit was a passion in a different way, you know, a real desire to, to make a difference and to help people. Well, we should um, probably take a minute and have you explain what Breaking the Habit of Dating Your Past is about. Right. So Breaking the Habit is um, Breaking the Habit of Dating Your Past. So I always saw the signs. They were there clear, but I didn't have a system for putting them together. I didn't realize I was getting a message about breaking about dating the past. I could see that, ooh, this one represents my dad and this guy represents my mom. And I had all of these insights the whole way through my dating life. So it wasn't until um, I broke up with a particular boyfriend that it would like all came crashing down. And um, so I was like, right, what is it here? There are signs. We 
and we use all our senses. So we are the being that lives within here. When you say, who am I? You don't go, ah, this is me. And you, you don't go, this is me. It's, this is me, the being that lives within here. So your senses of, you know, you hear, you feel, you know, you see, you touch, they're all out there when you meet someone. So you hear, they tell you what you need to know. Internally, you may get a reaction, shock. A shock I've found is a sign or a warning that your values are being violated. A knowing, an inner voice, you know, an inner voice might speak to say that I would never do that. And then we see, you know, we might come across people in the out and about who will give us a warning about this person or our jewellery will break. And then our body, you know, suddenly do we have sleep problems, anxiety, I, had anxiety. I used to get anxiety driving to my boyfriend's house. If that wasn't a sign. <laughs> so, yeah, it was the five signs came out of that. Um, they tell you what you need to know. Your reaction, your inner voice, the universe, and your body. So I found that if, if you realise that these senses of yours are all picking up clues from this person that you meet. So I met this guy and... It was a lovely guy and we're on our second date and we're laughing and then he tells me that he's taken a he's taken a kickback on this particular job in that moment i was shocked to hear that and it was a couple of days later like i'm not sleeping well i'm waking up at 3 a.m i'm like why am i waking up at 3 a.m and finally it, it dawned on me oh he broke your values so, and I've learned that anybody that breaks your values, when you get that sign and it's shock, that's a major sign that whatever that's broken your values is coming into your life. And we don't have our values tattooed to the top of our head. So it's in those early dates, chatting over coffee, or at the moment, you know, you're chatting over some kind of um, social media app. That's where you're listening out, listening out for those signs, you know, and that, Shock is a major one. So they tell you what you need to know. You hear something and you know you've heard something because that, that disturbs you. And it might, in the moment, it might disturb you for a second and then you keep going on. You know, you're, you're having your glass of wine. But later on when you're at home, you know, that thing he said, it's still, it's still in your head disturbing you. And your reaction. So the second thing is, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, it shocked me. I would never do that. That's a major, major. So if it's bungee jumping, you would never do that. That's not going to damage your life. But when it's, um, you know, he's maybe been violent with a child or maybe he's, you know, he's got a gambling addiction. Maybe he's been violent with someone else in his life. These are things that can, you know, severely damage your life and you don't need them in your life. You know, if there's someone out there that has the same values as you based on love living with joy, you know, who will uplift you to the life you want, just as you will uplift him to the life he wants. And together, you know, you build this life together. Well, you obviously learned this from a lot of your own personal experiences and from knowing friends and family and seeing what they've gone through. Why was it so important for you to share this knowledge through writing this book? Yes, so it was bad enough that I saw my life repeat 
and come undone. I watched my daughter start to repeat my life, except she repeated my life in her version with, with guys that were more on the edge than, than mine were. You know, these guys had more violent tendencies. And so I saw that, that danger and I felt for her. And I saw her friends and her girlfriends and I could see them, you know, going on a similar path. So I really wanted to get my book out there to these young girls to make them aware of here are the signs. So you can, you know, if, the, if, if you meet someone and it's like he broke up with his last girlfriend over text and that's the worst thing you find out, well, yeah, you can live with that if he breaks up with you via text. But when there are these other things that can destroy your life, if these girls just knew those first signs, if they knew to trust their inner wisdom, if they could see how they were all connected, you know, maybe they wouldn't have to spend all those years living those lives of, you know, depression and sadness. I remember I used to walk around the house and I used to say, I've never been this sad before. So I wanted people to... I wanted to get to those women, to get to those girls before they got to that spot. And maybe they could learn the lessons and maybe they could learn that by following your own inner passion, you can carve out your life. And through that passion, you can bring in the partner, the boyfriend, whoever, who supports you and who holds your values and is going to take you on an uplifted path. Well, I encourage everyone to pick up the book and read it because it's beyond just romantic relationships as well. You can utilize um, a lot of this information, even in the workplace and those type of relationships um, and things like that as well. So um, it's powerful. It's powerful. And you certainly did the legwork yourself on a lot of it. And you share a lot of stories and a lot of anecdotes and everything. And um you know, I kind of want to get into the process a little bit of it too. How long did it take you to write the book? Because I ended up writing the fairy tale along with it, it actually took me five years to write because now I'm writing two books and I'm doing a, I'm doing a creativity course and then I'm doing the first novel writing course and then I'm doing the second novel writing course and then I'm doing the third. So if I wasn't doing the two together, if I, the next book which I'm putting together is a much quicker write. The first step is you must plan what you're about to write. <laughs> plan out your chapters, plan out the major f points for those chapters and you will get it done a lot quicker than me because I came, I wrote it and then I went, well, what am I saying here? How am I going to, what's my core message? And that's when I came up with the, the five signs and then the nine filtering patterns while we ignore the signs. <laughs> You know. So you do it. You take five years. You write this amazing book. You're proud of it. You're very passionate about it. How did you know what to do next to get it published? Uh, well, I decided that I would self-publish because I thought that quite often that, you know, if a publisher does take a chance on an unknown author, that they, you would need a few books under your belt. So that was my goal that after this one, I would write something else in the Breaking the Habits series. I didn't know what it was going to be, but um, every now and then I'd get a little passion and I'd type something up as a possible um, outline. Um, so I do have an outline for the next book. 
and I self-published. So I got myself a cover designer and a layout expert and I found myself an editor. So she was an editor for, um, she mostly works with um, like universities and places like that. And yeah, it was like sent her the first draft. She came back with all her notes, spent another, you know, eight months, you know, rewriting those while I, whilst I'm writing a fairy tale and um, sent it to her again. And, you know, the notes got shorter and then came back for the third version and the, the last editing version. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be that long. I just want to tell everyone out that you don't need to spend five years writing a book. <laughs> but it's okay if it does take that long too, because, you know, life happens, people get busy, or like what happened to you, inspiration kind of goes away for a while. And, you know, you've got you've to find a way to get that back. So don't fault you for taking five years because the end product is amazing. What did it feel like the first time you got a printed copy of your book? Uh, it was, it was just immense pride that, wow, here I've done it and, and here it is. And they talk about thump value, you know, you can pick it up and drop it and, and that's what it was. And um, yeah, I gave a copy to my daughter and my mom and my brother and um, I had a few people read those early drafts and um, it was, yeah, the best feeling ever. And yeah, it was just like, okay, what's next? I don't know when you're driven. I do so tend to be you, driven. Yeah. Did you receive any criticism during that process from people that you know that were reading the drafts or from your editor? And being that you had started going through this creative process and kind of identified that seven year old little girl and you know not being afraid of anything, were you able to handle that type of criticism differently than you had before? Yeah, the, well, the criticism on my work life or the criticism on breaking the habit didn't affect me. That was, that's a different type of criticism. Whereas writing the fairy tale, that was out of my comfort zone. It's like 1,000% out of my comfort zone. Whereas people had known me for years giving advice and through my different healing work, I was, you know, I was used to that path. So if there was any criticism there I took it on board as okay what are we what have we got to how can I write this better I don't want this to be preachy so I definitely went through it and and pulled all those bits out um yeah criticism for for that was totally different it was the criticism so there was like this is how I define criticism as outer life criticism and then heart criticism so the outer life criticism, I did have to learn to be my own coach. So during writing Breaking the Habit, um, I would also sometimes ride my bike to work and that was a one hour bike ride. So this one day I'm riding home and I'd already been riding for about 40 minutes and I took a different path and there was this hill. <laughs> so after 40 minutes, I did not want to get off my bike and, and walk. I wanted to make it through it. So I started saying to myself, you've got this, you can do it, keep going, you can do it, keep going. Just a couple more, just a couple more turns on the pedal. You know, you've got this. And that's what I learned about criticism is that your own praise makes you feel great. 
you don't need somebody out there to go to be shouting on the sideline. I mean, it's great if you've got it, but you can do it. You've got this. But you telling you, you can do this. You know, you can make it. Keep going. You've got it. It feels great. Your own inner coach is the best coach you could have in this lifetime. So that own inner coach would always get me through everything that I was going through, but it wouldn't get me through that, that heart criticism, that passion where I'd already lost the, the, that sense of adventure. I'd lost that sense of, um, yeah. So when it's that, I'm never doing anything like this again. I will never be adventurous again. I would never be a, take a chance again. They're all qualities that you need when you're going out on a limb on your passion project. And writing a novel, that for me is a passion project. That gives me immense joy. I mean, writing Breaking the Habit does, but it falls more into you know, my, my self-help therapy life. So it's not that extension of that, which I've already been doing for you know, many years, for, for nearly 20 years that started. Whereas writing a novel, that's brand new. That's me back as a nine-year-old writing this ghost story and flipping the page. So this was fueled. That's fueled by this, this inner joy. And I found that that inner joy could be sucked out of you really, really easily. If you don't have those beliefs, I'm on an adventure. I'm, I can take on new things, you know, um, without that, I can take a chance with, without those inner beliefs about who you are and what you are and, and what you do, that, that inner passion can really be like a, like a match, a light, like a candle and you just snuffed. Well, if you don't believe in yourself, why would anybody else believe in you? So it has to start with you. Yeah. yeah. So that once you have that inner core of, um, I found that criticism just washes off you. So now that I'm back writing my um, novel in a, a little group that we're in, you know, one person doesn't like one bit, another person likes it. Yeah. So it's like that, that criticism doesn't phase me anymore because I've got that sense of adventure back. And this book is an adventure and it's a great adventure and I'm really enjoying it. And I cannot wait for it to be out there. I can't wait to read it. I would love to see a draft one of these days. You've been talking about it for months and you've, you've mm. given, you know, some, some examples, you know, some descriptions of it, but you've kind of kept this one a little close to the chest. But when you talk about it, you light up, like the plaza lights here in Kansas City. You get very excited. So I know it's going to be fantastic and I can't wait for it to come to life. We've already talked about it being made into a movie because I will be on the red carpet with you. So, <laughs> you know, you know, whether it takes That's... another five years or another year, it doesn't matter. It's going to be amazing. Oh, it's close. It's close. Good. It's, um, yeah, no. Late Where... this year, there'll be something out ready for... Um, this year it'll go to the editors as a full draft and you know it, it might be another six months or so getting that back but this book is written and will be out there i'm gonna the say by time, the yeah the next time you're on the podcast we'll be talking about that 
<laughs> Correct. <laughs> well, where do you find your inspiration now? Uh, inspiration, well, for the, the two things in my life, which is the, the fairy tale and the, the self-help, you know, for self the self-help, you know, it can be a conversation with someone and I'll just, you know, things will keep ticking over and I'll be, oh, I've got to come and write that down. I've got a book filled with, um, with just little notes or I'll come and I'll write up something on my computer. So a lot of it comes from just the outside world and I meditate. You must meditate. And um, people are often afraid of meditation and it doesn't have to be this grand thing where you sit down and got to be in silence in a dark room with a candle but that connection that you make with your inner self that's that's where all of this inspiration springs from you know it's alive and it's it's fueling your life so that connecting in with yourself being in your body connected to mother earth connected to the inner wisdom the spark whatever that might be you know spirit god all that is whatever it is that 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 light that sparks your day when you're in that space somebody will say something and it'll just be like or you'll say something you're like oh my god i've got to write that down sometimes i wish i had a recorder with me i'll say things and i'll go oh my god that was so cool what did i say (laughs) (laughs) well you touched on meditation just now and i you've led me through some amazing meditations before what advice or tips would you give someone listening who has never tried meditation before but is interested in trying it everything is a meditation when you are washing the dishes just washing them and being in the moment of seeing the water and watching the sponge this is what meditation is It's where your mind is focused on one thing. And sometimes when you sit down to meditate, you know, your mind can just be a thousand miles and just running off. So the main thing is no criticism, no self-criticism. If you sit down to meditate and your mind has got to run off with all these things, then let it. And if you need to write some notes down, get it out of you, get it done with. And you can meditate when you're walking. So you don't have to be stuck with the whole, you know, sitting down on the little cushion with your legs crossed. It's, you know, we've broken free from all of those ideas now. You can, you can do that, definitely. Sit on a chair, sit on your bed if you need to, lie down. Lots of people don't recommend it because, um, they, you know, they're concerned about people falling asleep. But I say meditate where you can get it. So if you go out for a walk, look at nature and try to be enthralled in nature. Nature has the most amazing beauty there waiting for you. Uh, the flower, the, you know, when I was doing this one day, I saw a possum run across the, the wires. I'm not sure if you have the little possums over there or the big heavy ones that walk on the ground. <laughs> well, this is America, so we got some big heavy ones. <laughs> <laughs> so we have these gorgeous ones with a white tail. And they're so dainty and they'll just, you know, run across the wires. So all of this nature is out there and, you know, maybe a a cockatiel or a parrot will fly by and it's green. And if you were just stuck in your thoughts here, pounding the pavement, 
you miss out on all of these things. Whereas when you open yourself up to just enjoy the, be in the experience, I'm just going to be. They talk about us being a human being, not a human doing. So let's be in this experience and look at the, the plants, the nature, and that can be your first step into meditation where it's a walking meditation and you get in touch with your breath and suddenly the mind starts quietening. Um, so that's, that's a major tip for meditation is start off in the, the outside world if you've never meditated. Use every moment as a, as a moment for meditation where you can be free. I remember I was um, in a pottery class and I was delicately, um, I was painting it and I was so focused on what I was doing and I realised this is meditation. My mind is here in the moment. I was at peace and I was just, I felt great. So it didn't, didn't matter what the design was. I was just having a great time. So anything like that or, you know, if you hit the punching bag or if you're exercising, where your mind is focused on that one thing, it can bring such peace to your entire being. So make everything a meditation. Have you always had this level of awareness, even from a young child, or is it something you learned as you grew up? I did notice as a young child that my mother could be quite negative. And so I always saw the impact of that, always falling back on that what-if nature, that, you know, worst possibility scenario. And so right from a young age, I I did not want that to be my life where I didn't see the possibility. I didn't see the opportunity. I, yeah. So yeah, it has been with me always questioning. I was, I guess I was quite lucky. They talk about people that have a skin condition being some of the luckiest people around because when you look in the mirror and your skin condition is staring back at you, you, you go on this journey of how can I heal this? What can I do? And for many of those people, they find that, you know, traditional, you know, doing the, the doctor, doing the, all of those things don't seem to help. And so I, I had been on a journey for many years of how can I heal my skin? And that's what led me to a lot of alternative practitioners. One of them was a kinesiologist and she actually made a, a huge difference to my skin and to my inner being. And it was a real, one of, the, one of those pivotal moments where these things make big changes in your life. So I could see what an alternative therapist could do and the difference they could make. And it started me on the path to, I want to do some of these therapies. You know, I want to help someone the way that um, this lady had helped me. So that's when I did, I did touch for health. And I did other bunch of healing modalities. And then I ended up at Theta Healing being uh, a meditation technique for, I found that, you know, you can use this technique for releasing beliefs and bringing new feelings. And it's, it's much like what a hypnotherapist uses. And it's that brainwave before you go to sleep. So that's why when I re-image all of these things you know seeing myself in the channel and all these different things i'm i'm in that that theater brainwave space when i'm watching it so 
I'm watching these beliefs release and then I'm bringing in the new ones and the new feelings and I'm experiencing them in that moment. So there is a, a state that, you know, you can bring yourself into from meditation to um, allow the brainwaves to assist you in changing your beliefs, changing your thoughts, changing your emotions. I wish everyone could learn that. I know that you are helping me with that a lot and it is, it's life changing. It's realizing you don't have to hold on to, in some cases, lies you've told yourself for years um, that you've just come to believe is the truth and it isn't the truth. Um, and it's very powerful when you're able to realize it and you're able to let go of those things, your life shifts and takes a new direction. And I think that could be powerful for a lot of people that are in a place where they feel stuck and they don't know how to move forward. You know, it's, it's looking back on your entire life and recognizing those moments and those things you've told yourself and finding the ways to let them go. So, you yeah. know, I have you to thank for that with my life. Um, you've been a pivotal person in my life to help me get past some, some pretty big events. So you are definitely a healer through and through. <laughs> and I, I appreciate Thank that you. about you very much. And, you know, and you can see that through your writing and everything too. You see how much you care about people and you want to share this knowledge. Your end goal is just to help other people. That's what I get yeah. from you all the time. Would yeah. you say that that's kind of your mission in life? Yes. Yes, absolutely. My mission and what drives me is to uplift humanity. And at the moment, that uplifting humanity is through uplifting and changing women's lives. As we change our, our girls out there and our women out there, they interact, they have children of their own and everything starts to shift. And, and what I've found that you as a mother, you know, we nag our kids. And we think we're doing the right thing by telling them what's wrong with them. And, you know, parents tend to be quite brutal at times. But what I've found is all in the name of, you know, I'm trying to help you. But what I've found is, is that you, if, as you shift and uplift your life, your children shift and uplift. Their lives change. So you don't have to be the nagging parent. This just naturally occurs through them seeing the shift in you. And that shift in you will be the slight way you react to things and the, the change in you and what you're doing. The power you have to change your children's lives starts with you uplifting and shifting and moving into your greatest passion and having faith and building that up. It's that is beautiful advice. Absolutely beautiful advice. Um, there are probably a lot of people I know listening that have drafts of stories, books, novels, ideas that they've had for years and don't know where to start. What is your number one piece of advice you would give someone wanting to go on this journey and actually get their work published? Realize... What is it that drives you? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is, so it's not just that you want to write it, you know, what is the story that you want to tell? You know, is it uplifting somebody's life? Is it, what's your driving passion? 
and when our passion meets our creativity, you know, everything starts to flow. So you need to know your why. You know, Simon, Simon Sinek says it all the time. Know your why. And it's why you want to do this. You know, if your goal is, you know, something that's in the outer world, it's probably not enough to drive you. You know, I want to do this to buy a better house. It's not, it's not a motive. It's not a internal motivating factor when it's something like internal that I want to make a difference for people. I want to, you know, see whatever it might be, bring joy to people, you know, that is something that you can, you can use to fuel what you're doing and to get you up at 5am or to you come home from work and you sit down and write. So the whole time I was writing, breaking the habit and writing the fairy tale, I was working a full-time job and being a mother and all those things. So you can do this. Like we say, we don't have time, but when, when you connect in with that creativity, with that passion, you do, you know, you eat dinner and you sit down and you can sit down at the computer or you, if you're a morning person, you can get up in the morning and, and do it. You are so much of an inspiration to me. I absolutely adore you. Um, we are at the segment that I call Find Your Montrospective. Um, you know even better than I do that we allow outside events to affect our mood all the time. Something happens to us and we were in a fine mood and then we're cranky and it ruins the rest of our day. So I'm going to give you a scenario and your task will be to find your retrospective, find two positives out of this experience. And of course, I had to structure one specifically to you. So here it is. Okay. You've been in a relationship for two years. You discover that your partner has cheated on you and leaves you. Find your retrospective. Ah, uh, so this is where my book actually started. Uh, you hit the nail right on the head. So I wish I had the pages in front of me open. So I started writing, great, now that he's gone, you can start meditating. Great, now that he's gone, you can get back to your writing. And I started writing all of these things for, that were all positives about why it was good that he was gone. And then I started writing down from my girlfriend's point of view, imagine their voice coming in and the universe coming in and going, fantastic is gone someone better's coming in someone better's and i would do it in these different you know i had this imagining of these different voices coming in so the reason i actually got through that breakup and people said to me i can't believe you guys were so close and now you've broken up and the reason i got through it was two things was that one that fantastic there's something better coming here this is for the good it's for his good and it's for my good and the, the second one was gratitude. And it was, I was so grateful to have had him in my life for the past, you know, 14, 16 months, whatever it was. I was so grateful for the tappy fixed. Just the little things. I was grateful for, you know, how he, he made my kids laugh and, and all this wonderful stuff. So that gratitude tapped me into joy and back into joy. So if you, that, gratitude is truly the best. It takes you out of your mind and puts you back in your loving heart. And your loving heart is where your wisdom and your passion lies to go out and create the life that you wish to lead. 
Do you do a gratitude journal? I know a lot of people do those. I, I have one. I'm not faithful with it every single day. Um, or do you just mindfully every day, you know, say your gratitude to yourself or out loud? I, somebody did send me a journal. Funny you say that. <laughs> wonder who that was. <laughs> Turned up in the mail one day and I was immensely gratitude, grateful to receive that. It was a beautiful gift out of nowhere. Um, but yes, I have them pinned on my board. I have my um, board behind me um, just over there and I'll read them in the morning. Uh, I don't tend to, when I get out the journal, I will write down what I'm grateful for, but it will fuel your day if you can, especially if if you're in that space where you need that upliftment, gratitude will bring that to you all the time. And I try to be grateful in any, every moment. You know, if I see someone successful, I'm like, wow, I'm really happy for you. I'm so glad. It's the best thing. You know, jealousy will just suck the life out of you. So if you can be grateful, you know, gratitude is a multiplier. So I, I guess I practice gratitude in, in my every moment of every life. You know, I, I see my grandson here and I see my daughter here and I'm just so grateful that they're here. And, you know, we've got the opportunity to have this experience together. So yeah, be grateful in every moment, every second. And you'll find that your life just shifts with everything because you, you view things differently. So we can view through things through this particular lens or we can view them through a different lens and one lens brings us joy and the other one drags us down and it sucks the life out of us and it sucks the creativity out of us. So if you view things through this lens of gratitude, um, it calms you down. You feel great. You people just love being with you because you have this attitude and it just, everything flows from there. It's a, I'm going to say it's a life thing. Do it every second and you will just find immense joy. It becomes a habit. You don't even realize you're doing it. You're just grateful every second and everything becomes a joy. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I have one final question for you. What mantra do you say to yourself that keeps you going? I have two mantras, of course. Okay, perfect. <laughs> So one is for getting out of a crisis and one is for remembering who I am. So the one for a crisis, I mean, everyone can use this. It's, there's a way through this. I just don't know what it is yet. And then I will say, thank you for sending me the solution to resolve this for everyone's highest and best. So that's my little mantra when something I've come across an obstacle or something I don't know at work and I'm trying to find a solution for that's my little mantra. You know, you know how you can get stuck in these things and you just quite a few times in my, um, in my day job, you know, I've come across that, you know, I'm Googling. One time I was on a software project and I virtually had to teach myself how to use this software. And so eventually I got up and I went, there's a way through this. I just don't know it yet. Thank you for sending me the solution. And I went off and I went for a walk and I came back and I Googled the right answer there. And then I tell you, it's the best thing ever, that little mantra. So, and the other mantra is to remember who I am. I am love, I am light. I am love, I am light. 
I have access to the wisdom of the universe by going within. And it's just remembering to pull back to the internal self and who we really are. We are beings of love. This is our nature. And it's stripping away the, the outer layers that have blocked that inner love to ourselves. And this is what I've found that we're seeking and we're searching for in this lifetime. We seek for love outside ourselves. But the love we seek is within ourselves. And when we get back to that love, we stand in the, in the power, in the energy of who we are. And you can start being the owner of your life from that point onwards when you are back knowing that you are love. This is who I am. I am the loving child of the universe. And then you start to realize everyone else is. They're all just aspects of the same creative spark. And so we stop seeing everyone as them and us because we're told from a very young age, you know, beware of strangers. It's the first thing we learn is stranger danger. And we continue that throughout our life that everyone who's different to us must be a danger. So it's coming back to this core of who we are and realizing that's actually who everyone else is. And when we meet everyone else, if we release the belief of who we think we are or who we think they've done, we allow them to show up in their moment as their highest and best. So it's like if you, work into, you walk into the workplace and you might have difficulty with a particular person, if you notice, you're probably walking in, walking in saying, ah, oh, them again, and they're going to harass me as soon as I sit down. So you've already got this stuff going and fueling who they are instead of what if I what if I go in today and ask, how can I help them? How can I make their day be better? And I release all this baggage about who I think they are and what I think they're doing. And I just go in with that. They're who I am. They're the, the loving being and they just want to be happy the same as I just want to be happy. They want peace. I want peace. So I'm just going to go in with how can I make your day better today? So when they show up at my desk, my goal is how can I make your day better? That will shift everything. It allows them to show up who they are and it allows you to respond in the moment instead of your past responding. So we're always responding from our past. And I guess that's why the book's called Breaking the Habit of Dating Your Past. It's breaking the habit of repeating your past in every second of every moment of your life. I hope everybody appreciates the amount of wisdom Tammy just dropped on all of us. I couldn't think of a better way to end this podcast than everything you just said. I am fired up and ready to go take on the world right now. <laughs> so Tammy, thank you for talking with me today. You are someone who I truly believe will change the world with your messages of strength, hope, and love. I encourage everyone to read her book, Breaking the Habit of Dating Your Past, which is available on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and on Tammy's website, which is www.tamlearson.com. Just check out the Montrospective social media pages or the website for all that information. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you get out there in life and take all of Tammy's advice to heart. Practice gratitude every day, and I will talk to you again soon.
Remember, your thoughts become your reality. You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.